Chapter One, Part D of Greener Than You Think. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Greener Than You Think by Ward Moore. Chapter One, Part D. I have no sympathy with weaklings who complain of the cards being stacked, but it did seem as though fate were dealing unkindly with me. Here was a good proposition coming just at the time I needed it most, and it was turning bad rapidly. Walking the short distance to Miss Frances's, I was unable to settle my mind, to strike a mental balance sheet. There was money. There had to be money. Lots and lots of it in the metamorphizer, but it was possible there was trouble. Lots and lots of it, also. The thing was, well, dangerous. What was the use of expending ability in selling something which could have kickbacks acting as deterrence to future sales? Of course, a man had to take risks. The door, after a properly prudent hesitation, clicked brokenly. Miss Frances looked as though she'd added insomnia to her other abstentions, otherwise she had not changed, even to her skirt and a smudge on her left nostril. "'If you've come about the icebox, you're a week late. I fixed it myself,' she greeted me gruffly. "'Wiener,' I reminded her. "'Albert Wiener, remember? I'm selling, that is, I'm going to sell the product you invented to make plants eat anything.' "'Oh, Wiener, yes.' She produced the toothpick and scratched her chin with it. About the metamorphizer. She paused and rubbed her elbow. A mistake, I'm afraid. An error. Aha, I thought, a new deal. Someone's offered to back her, steal her brainchild, negate all my efforts to make her independent, and cheat me of the reward of my spade work. You wouldn't think of her as a frail, credulous woman, easily taken in by the first smooth talker, but a woman is a woman after all. Look, Miss Frances, I argued, you've got a big thing here, a great thing. The possibilities are practically unlimited. Of course, she'll have to have a manager to put it across. An executive, a man with business experience. Someone who can tap the great reservoir of buying power by the conviction of a new need. Organize a sales campaign, nationalize production. Put the whole thing on a commercial basis. For all this, you need a man who has contacted the public on every level, preferably door-to-door -door and with a varied background. She strode past the stove, which had gathered new accretia during the night, and looked in the cloudy mirror as though searching for a misplaced thought. No doubt, Wiener, no doubt. But before all these romantically streamlined things eventuate, there must be a hiatus. In my haste, I overlooked a detail yesterday. Trivial, maybe. Perhaps vital. I should never have let you start out so soon. This was bad. I was struggling now for my job and for the future of the metamorphizer. Miss Frances, I don't know what you mean by mistakes or trivial details or how I could have started out too soon, but whatever the trouble is, I'm sure it can be smoothed out easily. Sometimes, you know, obstacles which appear tremendous prove to be nothing at all in experienced hands. I myself have had occasion to put things right for a number of different concerns. Really, Miss Frances, you mustn't let opportunity slip through your fingers. Believe me, I know what a big thing your discovery is. I've seen what it does. She turned those two sharp eyes on me discomfortingly. Ah, uh, she said, so soon? Well, I began, it certainly acted quickly. I stopped when I saw she wasn't hearing me. 
She sat down in the only empty chair and drummed her fingers against big white teeth. Even under a microscope, she muttered, no perceptible reaction for forty-eight hours. Laboratory conditions? Or my own idiocy? But I approximated. Her voice trailed off, and for a full minute the absolute silence of the kitchen was broken only by the melodramatic dripping of a tap. She made an effort to pull herself together and addressed me in her old abrupt way. Corn or wheat? Eh? You said you've seen what it does. I asked you if you had applied it to corn or wheat. Or what? She was looking at me so fixedly I had a slight difficulty in putting my words in good order. It was neither, ma'am. I applied some of the stuff to a lawn. A lawn, wiener? Yes, ma'am. But I said, General instructions, Miss Francis. I'm sure you didn't mean to tie my hands. Another long silence. No, Wiener, I didn't mean to tie your hands. Well, as I was saying, I applied some of the stuff to a lawn, exactly according to your instructions. In the irrigation water? Well, not precisely, but just as good, I assure you. Go on. A terrible lawn, all shot last night. This morning? Stop. What kind of grass, or don't you know? Of course I know, I answered indignantly. Did she think I was an idiot? It was devil grass. Ah, she rubbed the back of her hand against her singularly smooth cheek. Bermuda, Synodon Dactylon. Stupid, stupid, stupid. How could I have been so blind? Did I think only the corn would be affected and not the weeds in the furrows, or that something like this might not happen? I didn't feel like wasting any more time listening to her soliloquy. This morning I continued, it was as green. All right, Wiener, spare me your poetry. Show it to me. Well, now, Miss Francis, I wanted, understandably enough, to discuss future arrangements before she saw Dinkman's lawn. Immediately, Wiener. When dealing with childish persons, you have to cater to their whims. I rid myself of the pump. I'd never dreamed I'd be reluctant to part with the monster, while she made perfunctory and unconvincing motions to fit herself for the street. Of course, she neither washed nor made up, but she peered in the glass argumentatively, pulled her jacket down decisively, threw her shoulders back to raise it askew again, and gave the swirl of hair a half-hearted pat. I'd like to go over the matter of organizing. Not now. I was naturally reluctant to be seen on the street with so conspicuous a figure, but I could hardly escape. I tried to match her swinging stride, but as she was at least six inches taller, I had to give a sort of skip between steps, which was less than dignified. Searching my mind to find a tactful approach again to the subject of proper distribution of the metamorphizer, I felt my opportunity slipping away every moment. She, on her part, was silent, and so abstracted that I often had to put out a guiding hand to avert collision with other pedestrians or stationary objects. I doubt if I'd been gone from Mrs. Dinkman's three-quarters of an hour. I had left a small group excited at the free show consequent upon the too successful beautification of a local eyesore. I returned to a sizable crowd, viewing an impressive phenomenon. The homely levity had vanished. No one shouted jovial advice. Opinions and comments passed in whispers, accompanied by furtive glances toward the lawn, as though it were sentient and might be offended by rude speculation. 
as we pushed through the bystanders i was suddenly aware of their cautious avoidance of contact with the grass itself the nearest onlookers stood a respectful yard back and when unbalanced by the push of those behind went through such antics to avoid treading on it while at the same time preserving the convention of innocence of any taboo that they frequently pivoted and pirouetted on one foot in an awkward ballet the very hiding of their inhibition emphasized the new awesomeness of the grass it was no longer to be lightly approached or frivolously treated now i am not what is generally called a man of religious sensibilities having long ago discarded belief in the supernatural and i am not overcome at odd moments by mystical feelings furthermore i had been intimate with this particular patch of vegetation for some eighteen hours i had viewed its decaying state i had injected life into it i had seen it in the first flush of resurrection in spite of all this i too fell under the spell of the grass and knew something compounded of wonder and apprehension the neatly cut swaths of the little man with the jim dandy mower came to a dramatic end in the middle of the yard beyond this shorn portion the grass rose in a threatening crest taller than a man's knees green aloof and derisive but it was not this forbidding sight which gave me such a queer turn it was the moan part for i recalled how the brisk man's machine had cut close and left behind short crisp stems now this piece was almost as high as when i'd first seen it grown faster in an hour than ordinary grass in a month i stole a look at miss frances to see how she was taking the sight but there was no emotion visible on her face the toothpick was once more in play and the luminous eyes fixed straight ahead her legs were spread apart, and she seemed firmly in position for hours to come, as though she would wait for the grass to exhaust its phenomenal growth. "'Why did they quit cutting?' I asked the man standing beside me. "'Mower give out, dulled the blade so they wouldn't cut no more.' "'Going to give up and let it grow?' "'Hell no! Sent for a gardener with a power mower! Biggin'! Cut anything! Ought to be here now!' He was, too, honking the crowd from the driveway. Mrs. Dinkman was with him, looking at once indignant, persecuted, uncomfortable, and self-righteous. It was evident they had failed to reach any agreement. The gardener slammed the door of the senescent truck with vehement lack of affection. "'I cut lots of devil grass, lady, but I won't tie into this overgrown stuff at that price. You got no right to expect it. I know what's fair, and it's not reasonable to count on me cutting this like it was an ordinary lawn. You know yourself it isn't fair. I'll give you ten dollars, and that's my last word. Listen, lady, when I get through this job, I'll have to take my mower apart and have it resharpened. Do you think I can afford to do that for a ten-dollar job? Ten dollars, repeated Mrs. Dinkman firmly. The gardener appealed to the gallery. Listen, folks, now I ask you, is this fair? I'm willing to be reasonable. I understand this lady's in trouble, and I'm willing to help. But I can't do a $25 job for 10 bucks, can I? It was doubtful if the observers were particularly concerned with justice. What they desired was action, swift and drastic. A general resentment at being balked of their amusement was manifest in murmurs of, Go ahead, do it. What's the matter with you? Don't be dumb. Do it for nothing. You'll get plenty business out of it. They appealed to his nobler and baser natures, but he remained adamant. 
not to be balked by his churlishness they passed a hat and collected eight dollars and sixty-seven cents which i thought a remarkably generous admission price when this was added to mrs dinkman's ten dollars the gardener still protesting reluctantly agreed to perform mrs dinkman prudently holding the total he unloaded the power mower with many flourishes making quite an undertaking of oiling and adjusting the roller setting the blades bending down to assure himself of the gasoline in the small tank finally wheeling the contraption into place with great spirit the motor started with a disgruntled changing into a series of resigned explosions as he guided it over the lawn crosswise to the lines of his predecessor miss frances followed every motion with rapt attention did you expect this i asked eh the abnormally stimulated growth you mean yes yes and no work in the laboratory didn't indicate it my own fault i didn't realize at once making available so much free nitrogen would have such instant results but last night yes not now later the power mower went nicely i might almost say smoothly over the stuff cut before muttering and chickling happily to itself as it dragged the panting gardener inescapably harnessed in its wake but the moan area was narrow, and the machine quickly jerked through it and made the last easy journey along the wall of untouched devil grass beyond. The gardener, without hesitation, aimed his machine at the thicket of grass. It growled, slowed, coughed, spat, struggled, and thrashed on, and finally conked out. Ah, said Miss Frances. Oh, said the spectators. Son of a bitch, said the gardener. He yanked the grumbling mower back angrily, inspecting its mechanism in the manner of a mother with a wayward son, and began again. There was desperate determination in his shoulders as he added his forward thrust to the protesting rhythm. The machine went at the grass like a bulldog attacking a borzoi. It bit, chewed, held on. It cut a new six inches readily, another foot, slowly, and then with jolts and misfires and loud imprecations from the gardener, it gave up again. You, judged Mrs. Dinkman, don't know how to cut grass. The gardener wiped his sweaty forehead with the inside of his wrist. You, you should have a law against you, he answered bitterly and inadequately. But the crowd evidently agreed with Mrs. Dinkman's verdict, for there were mutterings of, it's a farmer's job. Get somebody with a scythe. That's right, get a scythe got to have a scythe to cut hay like that these remarks uttered loudly enough for him to hear so discouraged the gardener that after three more futile tries he reloaded his equipment and left amidst jeers and expressions of disfavor without attempting to collect any of the money for some reason the failure of the power mower lightened the atmosphere everyone including mrs dinkman seemed convinced that scything was the solution Tension relaxed, and the bystanders began talking in something above a whisper. End of chapter 1, part D